life through the Spirit from Romans 8. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Thank you, Bettina. Well, today is the last in a series. Uh, it's the fifth one in open-hearted living. And it was a very apt um, piece of music you sang, first of all, Ellen. And, of course, if you missed the other ones, you can get them on the podcasts. Um, on, you'll find a little uh, a red sheet, red little uh, card at the back, and you can download them onto your uh, iPhone or whatever and uh, just listen to the other messages if, you, if you'd like to. Um, in it, in this series, um, we started off by looking at the importance of being true to ourselves or the expression that we've been given by God to live. To live as, as God has actually, that spirit, that divine spark has, has invited us to live. We've looked at being true to ourselves or the expression that we're given by God to live. We've looked at the fact that we're not you know, when we're not driven by our minds, when our minds aren't driving us, our hearts become free and open. That's been an important aspect of this last five weeks. We can therefore, because our hearts are open, create loving relationships based on no judgment or partiality towards one outcome or another. Because our hearts are open, we're not at the effect of the judgment of our mind. And, you know, last week we looked at the idea of failing to live up to ourselves because we've all got these high-minded ideas of how we live our lives, but a lot of the time we don't live up to them. Um, the idea that failure is non-occurrence or cessation of supply. And that cessation of supply in this area relates to love, a compassion, and understanding. And I talked about the fact that noticing that we're not loving noticing that we are reacting is really half the battle and enables us to come back to the practice of loving. And over this past period of time, we've looked a lot of how-tos and whys and wherefores around the whole idea of living in an open-hearted way. And that this idea of dropping down from our minds into our hearts is key in freeing us. And it isn't really about being free. That's the whole purpose of this. I mentioned that quote from John of the Cross about a bird being trapped. It makes little difference whether the bird is tied by a very thin thread 
or by a thick cord. Even if it's tied by a thread, the bird will be held bound just as surely as if it was by a big cord, unless you cut the cord, unless you cut the thread. And we have to break the thread between our hearts and our minds to set us free. And that freedom enables us to live in the Spirit. And that's what we're going to just look at a little bit about today, about what does it mean to live in the Spirit? Really, to live not in our minds, but from the greater Spirit that's a part of all creation. How do you do that? How do you live in that way? That spirit that hovered over the waters in Genesis 2. Now the earth was formless and empty and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the spirit of God hovered over the waters and God said, let there be light and there was light. Spirit, from the Latin word spirere, which means to breathe, funnily enough. And we're so close to it the spirari, the breath, that we hardly notice it. And yet that spirit is constantly there prompting us and guiding us. But as I've been saying, our minds tend to get in the way of that prompting and that guiding. To live in the spirit is to live, to live in the breath, is to live in a flow of life prompted by the divine impulses of creation. That same creation that said, let there be light. We become part of that, let there be light. To live in the minds to say, well, do we really want light? Do we really need it? You know, what are the downsides of there being light? Surely formless and empty and darkness that's covering the surface of the deep, it's quite comforting, really. In a way, I prefer to be able to not see anything, and so light can get in the way. Let's just leave it for a while and just get on with what we've got. I mean, our minds tend to do that when let there be light comes in there. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters and God said, let there be light, and there was light. Notice just the ease of that. The ease in which the light appears when the Spirit is employed. Because the light was wanting to appear. And by employing the Spirit, the light came effortlessly. And that really is what we're wanting to do in living in the Spirit. It, you know, having spent five weeks talking about how to do it, really the truth is we just want to live effortlessly. We want to live in a way we, where we don't have to think about it all the time. Michelangelo said of sculpting, every block of stone has a statue inside it. And the task of the sculptor is to discover the statue. I saw the angel in the marble and I carved until I set him free. That effortlessness of, of the angel appearing. And that's the methodology of living in the spirit. To know that our lives have a shape inside them. And our task really is to set that shape free. To be true to the concept that God utters in me, as Merton said. And to do that, you really have to live in the spirit. Now, I came across a lovely story by Chang Tzu uh, that was written in 300 BC. And it really sums up, I think, what it really means to, to live in the spirit. It's called cutting up an ox. <laughs> Prince Wen Hui's cook was cutting up an ox. Out went the hand, down went the shoulder. 
He planted a foot, he pressed with a knee, the ox fell apart with a whisper. The bright cleaver murmured like gentle wind, rhythm, timing, like a sacred dance, like the mulberry grove, like ancient harmonies. Good work, the prince exclaimed. Your method is faultless. Method, said the cook, laying aside his cleaver. What I follow is the towel. Beyond all methods, when I first began to cut up oxen, I would see before me the whole ox, all in one mass. After three years, I no longer saw the mass. I saw the distinctions. But now I see nothing. With the eye, my whole being apprehends. My senses are idle. The spirit free to work without plan, follows its own instinct, guided by natural line, by the secret opening, the hidden places. My cleaver finds its own way. I cut through no joint. I chop through no bone. A good cook needs a chopper once a year. He cuts. A poor cook needs one every month. He hacks. I've used the same cleaver 19 years. It has cut up a thousand oxen. Its edge is as keen as if newly sharpened. There are spaces within joints. The blade is thin and keen. When this thinness finds that space, there is all the room I need. It goes like the breeze. Hence, I have this cleaver 19 years, and it is as if it's newly sharpened. True, there are sometimes rough joints. I feel them coming. I slow down. I watch closely. Hold back. Barely move the blade and whump. The part falls away, landing like a clod of earth. Then I withdraw the blade and stand still and let the joy of the work sink in. I clean the blade and put it away. When Then Prince Wen Hu said, This is it. My cook has shown me how I ought to live, how I ought to live my own life. And that idea of the effortlessness there, that is the idea of living in the spirit where you're not looking at the mass, you're not looking at the distinctions, you are just entering into life and you're just flowing through life. There is the idea of effortlessness compared to the way that our minds try to hack through the jungle of life to get where we think we ought to be going. We try and hack our way through, but there's an effortlessness. And that effortlessness, that living in the spirit, is what I'm talking about now. Once we've gone through all the notions of being true to ourselves, of being open-hearted, of not worrying about failure, of dropping out into our hearts to connect with love, when we've done that, when we're aware of all those things, then we have a chance of living in the Spirit. As it says in that reading from Romans, we shift from what our mind wants, the earthly desires, to what the Spirit desires. We become children of God, governed by it. We become parented by the Spirit. However weak we are, however weak we are, it upholds us. And it presents us like the angel from Michelangelo's stone. Because we know that all things work for good 
for those that are living in the Spirit. Once you begin to live in that way, it doesn't matter what happens, actually it's all going to be towards the whole purposes of the Spirit. And that's why I put that painting on our bulletin. That tree on the front there is bent out of shape and tormented by earth, wind and fire. And yet it still lives the life that it's being given. It can't choose any other. It lives the life it's being given. And to live the life in the Spirit is, is not to lead an easy life. You know, and many of us do suffer, as Shakespeare said, the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. But living in the Spirit begins to enable us to live that peace that pass, in that peace that passes all understanding. There is a peace there that is beyond the circumstances. The mind governed by flesh is death, it says, but the mind governed by the Spirit is a life in peace. So I'm suggesting that in living a life in the Spirit, you're actually choosing to live, live a life of peace. Right here, you know, right now, that, that peace is available to us as, as we're not caught up in our minds. As, as we are in that present moment, as we're in our hearts, in our breath. I read Psalm 91 last week. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High, whoever dwells in that peace, will rest, will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say, he is my refuge, my fortress, in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the snarers, the fowler's snare and the deadly pestilence. We live in the peace of that present moment when we choose to live in that way. And in it, we're not touched by fears that come to us by day, that rock us, that demand that we act to save ourselves. When we're in that peace, we're not touched by that. When we act out of these fears, when those fears come to us, we, we act out of the fears, in, in actual fact, we change nothing. We might feel that things have changed, but in fact, we just swap one set of circumstances for another because other fears will come along. But when we get to that new place, you know, when we get to that place that's beyond that, we start to live in love. And as it says in 1 John, there is no fear in love. That's so interesting. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. And we know we have access to that love and peace when we drop down in that moment into our hearts and minds, being with what is so in that moment. Nothing is bearing in on us right now. As we're in that moment together, there is no illness, no bankruptcy, no lack. Fear only comes when the mind considers those things. But right now here, there is truth and love. And that is what it is to live in the Spirit. And I know this is a rarefied atmosphere. You know, here we are in a chapel, you know, on a Sunday. And we can get there. You know, that's one of the reasons you can't we get there, because we're in this rarefied atmosphere. You know, it is contrived. And, you know, you don't have some sort of deadline or problem bearing down on you. But the key thing to realize is that this experience, as I said before, is wrecked. It, you can replicate it any time and in any place. And to truly live in the Spirit, 
We have to commit and intend to live from this experience. We have to commit and intend to live from this experience rather than be at the effect of those slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. It is a statement of intent. That's what it's meant by the Christian concept of, of living by grace, the free and unmerited favor of God, or to live in the tower. The great way is easy, it says, yet people prefer the side paths. Be aware when things get out of balance. Stay centered within the Tao. Living in the Spirit is about the intention to live in that place. And the thing is, when you live in the Spirit, when you live in your breath, in that closeness with the present moment, you find freedom. And you know, normal laws do not apply. You have that hugely controversial text from Romans, which says, Therefore, do not let sin or or mind's desires reign in your mortal body so that you obey those desires. For sin or the mind shall no longer be your master because you are not under law, but under grace. That idea that when you arrive at that moment in that peace, law doesn't apply. It's really a place of freedom. And that's the place of freedom we speak. And believe it or not, you know, this idea of law not applying occurs in other scriptures as well. In the Bhagavad Gita, the Hindu scripture, it says, realize that pain and pleasure, gain and loss, victory and defeat are one and the same. Then go into battle. Do this and you cannot commit any sin. There is this idea that living in the spirit enables complete freedom that we are not constrained by anything, in that our ideas of what's right and wrong just don't apply. It links back to that forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The forbidden fruit was the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So living in the Spirit is, is not only a place of peace and no fear, it's also a place of complete freedom. Now, you might want to say, well, can I murder someone then? And the answer to that is, Why would you want to if you live in a place of grace and peace and freedom? That desire is not there. So that's the idea of life, to live in the spirit where our carving becomes perfect, where there is peace and freedom. But of course, the big question is, how do you get there? How do you get to that point of living in that thing? How do you navigate your way around life from that perspective? And the big answer to that is you do not navigate your way around life. You allow life to navigate its way around you. Because when you're in that place of no judgment, where pleasure and and pain, gain and loss, victory and defeat are one and the same, where you're not concerned about the outcome, as you live about living in spirari, you live in your breath, then you and life become a whole. In that moment, you and life become a whole, and you become the word that God God utters in you. And as such, the earth turns around you rather than trying to turn the earth to your purposes. You become that still point. It's a bit like that idea I've mentioned once before, you know, about when you're walking through your life. You know, you you feel that you're walking through time and space. As As I'm walking around here, I'm 
walking through time and space. And that's how we experience it. But what, just to, what if we were the still point and that rather than us walking through time and space, the reality was that all time and space is passing through us and we're experiencing that time and space. T.S. Eliot's still point in a turning world. If you want the whole quote, it's uh, at the still point in the turning world, this is Eliot, neither flesh nor fleshless, neither from nor towards, at the still point, that's where the dance is. But neither arrested nor movement, and don't call it fixity, where past and future are gathered, neither movement from or towards, neither ascent nor decline, except for the point, the still point. There would be no dance, and there is only the dance. So he suggests, Eliot, this idea of a still point in a turning world. That is the the experience of living in the spirit, being the still point in the world that turns around you. And you do that by practice. You get there by practice, you know, through your meditation practice, by consciously being that still point in your hearts in that half an hour or 20 minutes or whatever, and then dropping down into your hearts when you find yourself being overcome by circumstances. You have to decide to do that. When you're overcome by circumstances, you have to say, well, I am going to drop down into my heart. You know, on the smallest level, this can be being aware of day-to-day moments when that we were talking about last week, noticing when you want to react, and instead of pausing, you know, instead of reacting, pausing and putting love where there was none before. We talked about that last week. But it also applies to those moments, I don't know if you had them, where you become completely kiboshed. Do you have that word in America? You, you know, where you are completely polaxed. You know, where something comes along and totally throws you. I, I don't know about you, but I have those moments well, I have things come along and my whole software crashes. I can't do anything. I, I, on Monday, something happened to me today. I just couldn't. I had to write this message. And I just couldn't do it. I had to do, I had to do administration because I, my whole software would not engage. You know, it's a bit of news or a diagnosis or an interaction. And because of it, you know, I'm not able to function. The news is of such magnitude or has such implications that you, know, you can't properly compute it. It's at that moment that you can either choose to be affected by your thoughts and fears and act, or you can go to a place where those thoughts and fears do not affect you. And at those moments, it's easy to react and to make decisions and to try and survive. And really what we're doing is just amplifying the event by our actions. But by coming into yourself, by being present in your inaction, By not reacting to your fears, you take the effect of the event on you and you reduce it by not being thrown about by it. You have to go into yourself at those moments. You come to that place in the present moment, last few paragraphs, so don't panic, you come to that place in the present moment where you choose to live in spirari, in the spirit, in your breath, you arrive. There is no immediate threat in that moment. In fact, you know that moment will be always there for you, whatever happens next. And so you relax into that peace. The spirit hovers over the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. In truth, whatever's happened, we're still alive. We are here in the love of the spirit, and we can weather anything. As Paul says, that is why for Christ's sake, 
I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. For God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. That's, that's the key line for living in the Spirit. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live in God. I died to the law. It's dying to the law. I have been crucified in Christ and I no longer live. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That is what it is to live in the Spirit, to live from somewhere else other than our minds. It is the idea I've mentioned before of being a living sacrifice. Sacrificio, you are made holy. Sacrificio, made holy in that moment, in that living in the Spirit. Rather than being run by your minds, you are part of something infinitely greater that's only purpose is creation and goodness. Let's pray. So from our hearts, from our breath in Spirari, we do remember those people who are thrown about by circumstances at the moment, particularly those uh, suffering from storms in North Carolina and from storms in Asia, people at the effect of weather all over the world, people at the effect of their circumstances who don't have the luxury that we have of being able to really consider their places, our place in life, but just have to hold on. Think about people who are living in war zones, people living in injustice, people who are homeless, refugees, displaced people all over the world, struggling just to make one day after the next to keep their children alive. We open our hearts to them, to those in prison, captivity of any kind, those suffering from addictions, driven. We open our hearts to them. We pray for our valley, all those working today, and visitors coming to see the beautiful nature at the moment. We pray for safety. And we pray for all those who, who we know are, are in hospital at the moment or suffering in any way. We particularly think of Patricia Hill, of Father Joseph Boyle, of Martha Martin and Sophie Layton. Anybody else that, that we know is uh, in difficulty or in need of healing. Just mention them in our hearts now. And we particularly think of the family of Paul Mayer, who passed away last Sunday, especially thinking of Kristen, who was here with Paul for many years. Just pray for her and all the family gathered around at the moment. Amen.